So what is a challenge course? What's different between that and a high ropes course or a ropes course? Is it just about the name? Where do they come from? What's the history? And what specific things make up a challenge course? That is what we're going to be talking about in this episode. My name is Phil. I'm the host of this podcast. I'm joined by our training team at High Five, and we're going to be discussing what is a challenge course. Let us talk about what a challenge course is, because we have referenced this in many cases during our podcast episodes. And I know as someone who has been uh, using Instagram for posts, and that's as a plug for going to at Vertical Playpen on Instagram, that when I add hashtags, challenge course isn't a particularly popular hashtag, more popular are ropes course and high ropes. But let's talk about very basic, even that, that comparison. So what is a challenge course? I love a very old definition. It's a quote by a uh, former outward bound instructor, uh, Mike Stratton, who wrote that the ropes course is the Swiss army knife of outdoor education. And you can imagine what that means. There's lots of things you can do depending on how you might choose to use that tool. I just think that's a, a clever way to, it doesn't give any descript, specific descriptors, but in general, it gives you a sense of it. So I find that interesting. I think the history of it also, right, has to do with uh, uh, fitness courses uh, in the mili military use way back when. And I think it adopted many things from that. I'm old enough to remember the commando crawl that you hold on to a, a rope and try and slide a sloth across. That was pretty painful. I think those things are that climb is well, Phil, we bumped into one in an indoor setting, but I think those have gone by the wayside and for good reason. I, I remember that training and I was so fortunate that you were there with me because I remember saying like, what is that rope? That's just horizontal to the ceiling in this gym. Yeah. You don't see so much of those anymore. And I gave you the, oh, those things hurt. <laughs> so, I mean, that's part of the, the history of challenge courses is, I'm not going to say necessarily pain, but fitness. I think a very concrete fit definition is that a challenge course is something that is fixed. It's a facility-based activity, whereas other types of adventure challenges are away from a facility and use a dynamic environment. A challenge course is something, for the most part, that is uh, installed, whether it's in trees or poles or in indoors, um, and folks come to it and have a sort of it's constructed in advance. That's a given, but I think it's an important differentiator from other types of adventures. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a, a large human constructed playground of physical challenges and activities that require groups to accomplish interconnected tasks that allow them either success or failure and the opportunity to reflect upon the process of that. Yeah, it's interesting that the, the difference between calling a, a, a challenge course and where, why that word was particularly used over, I know that in the past, 
I believe someone told me it was called a confidence course. This notion of the outcome is the word that precedes the fact that it's a course. Whereas when you think of the definition or the the use of the name high high ropes or ropes course, that it defines two different things. It's the, the, the more physical component of it. It has rope mm-hmm. and it's high. But the challenge part is the outcome that is in, incorporated in its name, which I think is just, I know I use this phrase a lot, that we call it a challenge course and not a success course to denote that things should be and could be challenging when on the course. Do you know, Chris, at all why ACCT, so ACCT is the Association for Challenge Course Technology, why they used the challenge course part in the name? You know, whenever ACT started up in the 90s or whatever, early 90s, I think at that point, challenge courses already and many vendors already were constructing them no longer of rope. So the very early challenge courses were were not cabled. They were rope. They were truly confidence courses, military style confidence courses built out of rope. In fact, I think here at High five somewhere. There's a picture of an early state police department in Massachusetts training site that has it, it's it's a classic 1950s kind of photo. And they have a we might look at it today. And if it was made out of cable, we'd say, oh, that's a challenge course. But it was a ropes course building confidence in their troopers over navigating challenging terrain and doing group tasks together. You know, the early versions of this stuff coming out of Kurt Hahn's work back in back in Europe, you know, we're, tr- we're training in particular naval officers and people in the military uh, on board ship using the rigging, the masting rigging of a ship as those challenges. And some of those very first ropes courses that were constructed that weren't on a ship looked a lot like those ship, ship shrouds and rope ascension and climbing poles and all those kinds of things. So, yeah, there was a gentleman named George Hebert, H-E-B-E-R-T, who was, uh, I think, a French naval officer. And he studied how people moved and moved through their environment. And in particular, he studied indigenous people. I think mostly he spent his time in Africa, perhaps, investigating how people moved in their daily work. And he identified something like, I don't know, a dozen or 16 normal movements like climbing, swimming, jumping, crawling, throwing, lifting, swinging, and those kinds of things. And he built confidence courses that I think ultimately became the classic like par course that you see in like city parks that are workout facilities. I think some of his ideas were brought into Quebec to camps even prior to the first outward bound course in the U.S. getting a challenge course, which I think was like Colorado Outward Bound School in the early 60s, got a true ropes course based on sort of more of the Kurt Hahn model. But I think prior to that, George Hebert influenced educators coming back to the States from Europe, and they were educators in working in camps in Quebec at the time that put some of the very first North American challenge courses in. Wow. I didn't know that. 
I I'm just sitting here Frank thinking Frank, thinking uh wouldn't it be cool to like have the brain the memory of a Chris Danboys? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just noting it's an audio yeah, thing. It looks like he he's talks, it's like it looks like he's just saying else. this stuff and not reading this stuff. I just want to put that out there. Oh, he's got a book in front of him. <laughs> yeah, all right, we're all cheating. He's, if he's you want to know, this yeah, story. if you want it, and if you want a really good chapter read on this, you could find page one sixty two in Adventure Education Theories and Applications put out by Project Adventure and Human Kinetics. And uh, yeah, I happen to write that chapter. So I do know some oh. of the history of it. <laughs> now yep. the truth is coming out. That's awesome. Yeah, this is this is something that I, I wonder as well with the with the terms. It seems like, even as we're describing them, that when they're called a confidence course or a challenge course, they're being called it by the people that operate it. When they're called a high ropes or a ropes course, they're called by the people that use it. Because yep. I'm thinking, like, if a group was coming, they're going to look and say, oh, look, it's all made of rope. Or it's, look how high it is. They're, go they're not going to say, well, they might say how challenging it might be, but they're not going to say, this is going to build confidence. So I, th I, I think it's probably a the big difference between why one is a little bit, like ropes course, high ropes are more commonly used, is because they're language that they're used by the general public who might participate versus the people that operate. And I'll add this other lens. I, I'm i getting better at it, but I would admit that I've got some, when I hear people say ropes course, I, I correct them and say, no, it's a challenge course. There's some sort of, uh, I don't know what it is, ego around that, the notion mm -hmm. of it being almost like it's demeaning to call it a ropes course and that you want to try to justify it by saying, no, it's not, but it, but it is. <laughs> is yeah. I'm, I'm old enough to appreciate both. I remember some of these early outward bound ropes courses that were still mostly made out of rope where you did do things like Rich is suggesting laying on a big fat three inch hawser and doing a commando crawl, very militaristic, very like Kurt Hahn military based kind of names even. And, and if you wanted a challenge course, some of those early courses were hard physically. They were designed as individual challenges. I remember the very, uh, the old Hurricane Island ropes course on the north side of Hurricane Island was quite low in the trees. It wasn't very high, but physically demanding. It, it, you know, to get a patrol of 12 students through it took four hours because it was a static course where they went from one element to another and just people would come out of that torn pants, bruised, bleeding. <laughs> and exhilarating. Yeah. So we've talked about the like the different names and maybe what they mean, but what specifically, and we've also talked about it, how it might be constructed, but what might include what might be included in what we might know as a challenge course? There's two big categories. There's low elements are challenges for groups on the ground that the safety system is a spotting or self-spotting mechanism. And then there's high elements where the safety mechanism is PPE, helmets, harnesses, ropes in a belaying technique often to keep people safe. That's funny, Chris. I was, that's very true. I agree with that. And I was thinking like on a completely different, more, very concrete, like you're going to see wood, you're going <laughs> to see cable, and you're going to see various types of cordage. And you're going to see some things that are permanently fixed into trees or poles used in a variety of ways to make the things that Chris talked about. 
Yeah, and if you get down to it, you see suspended logs, tires, nets, platforms, swinging ropes, all kinds of different things. You might see a climbing wall. You might see a tower. You might see it in supported by trees. You might see it supported by utility poles. You might see it supported by steel poles. Some vendors build them in steel poles. That was very Dr. Susian of you, Chris. You might see it, it see it in the trees. You might see it near my knees. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I heard it. <laughs> we'll as long see. as there aren't any bees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I think of the word challenge course, I'm often brought back to my first experiences. We can go around all of us. What was the first challenge course that you experienced? What, for you, solidifies in your head, this is a challenge course? So for me, it was a static course where the, the initial start was a cargo net. There was a really long two-line. There was a catwalk. There was a Burma bucket. And then it led to the zip platform, and you got off from the zip platform. And the only way to get in to the course was the cargo net. And the only way to get off the course was the zip. So good luck traversing all of these other parts before you got to the end of it. And the attachment was uh, webbing, um, webbing with carabiners attached to them. Yeah, for me, it was uh, late 80s in grad school at SUNY Cortland at Racket Lake. That was the first time I saw all this. And of course, we weren't wearing helmets and you could actually zip through a couple of branches and not have a big, a big, big deal. But it's just something instantly. I think for me, being outdoors, then you add beautiful tree setting, and then you add those challenges to me that really struck me in a, obviously a, a way that I wanted to continue to do that kind of work in uh, my teaching and on challenge courses. It's just a pretty awesome experience, I thought. I don't remember the elements of my, the first course I participated in, but it was in the early eighties, rich like you at a camp in Vermont. And I'm pretty sure it was a like built by staff course and it was a static style course. And I, again, I don't remember all the elements, but I very, very distinctly, like it was yesterday. Remember on with the new check off with the old, like that, the, those were the commands for being able to proceed. It was like drilled into us. And that was a very, very specific memory. And I remember the webbing Swiss seats. That's what we used at the time. Being a process person, you know, it doesn't surprise me that I remember those systems and the harness versus like the actual elements. I think for me, the reason that I know the elements is because my first interaction was actually as a staff member. I didn't participate mm -hmm. this as a kid. And I used to climb them consistent. We would take those uh, webbing lanyards down at the end of the day and I would put them up at the start of a program. So I've, I'd climbed that stuff a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. I, I have two distinct memories. One, I could own, I can only reflect on, you know, at a much later time and recognize that this is what this was. I was part of a scouting program called the Explorer Scouts and we were a search and rescue unit. And we went to a Boy Scout camp for a retreat. And they didn't have a ropes course, but our instructors um, strung a cargo net up between two trees that was probably 30 feet off the ground. 
they put up like a two-line bridge over a brook. And then we were tasked to build a three-rope bridge, essentially a Burma bridge, as as the unit between two giant boulders. So first we had to get up on the boulder, then we had to construct and learn how to lash a tripod together and then get up on the other boulder and construct and, you know, create a tripod and then string three ropes across it that we could go across. And we're like 30 feet off the ground on these boulders. And you did them without safety protocol other than don't fall off. (laughs) And that was the late seventies. But then, you know, by my junior year in college, I was a climber at that point and I got hired by a summer camp in Maine to be their adventure director. And I didn't know what that meant until I showed up and they actually had a reel at the time called ropes course, but it was really mostly cable. It was a project adventure built and, and camp staff built course um, that I had to learn how to run because I'd never seen one before besides my experience as a scout you know, six years, seven years earlier. Phil, you had mentioned about you had to climb a lot to, to set things. Jim Crowd, I don't know when it was, four or five months ago, we were talking about P-cord and hall cord. And he had said initially people, you had to, that was part of the, the day, is you got to climb up and set the, set the climb before they even thought of uh, P-cord. And then that's where I think the term lazy line came from. It's like, oh, you're, you're not climbing up there. You're lazy. I'm glad that innovation has been made available for many years. <laughs> Can you imagine how annoyed you'd have been if you'd have been climbing for like years and then someone said, well, why don't we just tie a little piece of string to it? <laughs> exactly. And then be like, oh, you're lazy, man. Are you kidding? Why didn't we think of this? The current version of that is the hall loop in the end of a rope, right? That when people get that aha moment, you mean I can just tie a little string to the end and pull the rope up through easily oh God, without man. losing it? Um, and never have to climb potentially. <laughs> I'm sure I did um, some sort of adventure experiential education activities when I was in Montessori school for a year. I was recently reminded of that. But my first memory was in high school, and my soccer coach, Al Maxian, took our soccer team to Cuca College in Penia, New York. And we did some of the low ropes course elements there. I think specifically it was the porthole, the maze, and I think islands. And of course it, you know, it did exactly what, (laughs) you know, we needed to do, bring out some issues we were working through as a team, but it was also a great experience, um, just bonding as well. So I remember having a lot of fun doing that. I often think of like a challenge course as being, and I'm sure it's the case with all things, like first times. It's like when you go to uh, your first adventure basics training, it's always like that's the best one. Or when you go to summer camp, the first summer you work is often the the favorite summer and you could do subsequent ones, but the first one. I think about that with courses. As much as they had, the one I worked at had a lot of issues. It, it, there's something about it that's, that is the best for me. Even though, you know, it's, it really was not a great course. So much so that, um, and I continually thank him for this, um, I, I was actually reflecting on this in a previous episode I talked about learning to ski. And while we were there at the, at the mountain, I was 
noting that there's a lot of lift operators, like the some of the staff. And my wife had said, I can't, can't imagine doing that job, like standing there for that long, just hour after hour at those positions. And I said, well, I used to do that on a zip platform. So most people probably in our industry have done those kind of tasks. I would sit on the zip platform at this camp for sometimes up to six hours. And the reason why it was such, I was up there for so long, as, as I sort of described, was the the way to get down was actually to go all the way back through the course because I couldn't just zip down with staff there. So as an example, a group would come, they would use, I would be at the zip platform. That staff member who brought the group up would be helping out with the zip, the ladder, and then they would supervise the, the group to leave. And so I would get left isolated on the top there. So I got in the habit of like bringing up stuff with me. But what's nice about the reason I'm thinking about this, what has so much like emotion tied into it is that that zip platform, when I was actually a challenge course manager there, oh no, it was actually, I'd left. I was the challenge course manager. I left and I had been told that the zip platform had been taken down, torn down and replaced. And some point, I can't remember exactly when I got in a mail, a really heavy box and I opened up the box and there was a plank, a piece of that zip platform what was even more special about it is I'd engraved. Now this wasn't good. I wasn't supposed to do this, but I engraved my initials into the wood. And at no. some point they'd obviously he'd seen that when they pulled it down. So he mailed me that piece. This is Jason Mark and my old boss. He uh, mailed that. So I have that sitting up in our living room, sitting on a shelf, just this piece of wood with PB written into it. But that was the zip platform. I'd sat for hours, days, months of my life sitting on that platform. So I think that that's a nice piece about the emotion that is associated with challenge courses, even if they're not always that great. And I think that some people go to another course and say how much better that course, your course is awesome. It probably does some awesome work and you probably use it really well. So I want to honor that your course doesn't have to be state of the art to be cool. Awesome. So I think that that sums up challenge courses, what they are, um, what the name means, where maybe some of the history of it and our experiences with challenge courses. I'm leaving you on a bit of a cliffhanger here. The conversation continues in the next episode. Next week's episode, we're going to be talking about how we at High Five facilitate on a challenge course. Some tips and ideas on how we facilitate. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, uh, follow, go on to Instagram, at Vertical Playpen, send me a message. I'll send you one back. All right. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playpen. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives podcast? Can you do it? Thanks for getting us a good guy. <laughs> <laughs>